0: Back to the Hot Goss Cast. We are so excited to finally drop this episode about STIs, and we hope that now it may feel even more relevant than ever. But before we dive in, here's a little more about us. Speak About It is a consent education organization. We use theater and dialogue to speak with thousands of students each year about healthy sexuality, relationships, identity, and consent. The Hot Goss Cast is our all-audio version of our popular live web series, Hot Goss, where we talk about all the things they say you shouldn't talk about, but you totally should. You can find our web series on our Facebook or Instagram at We Speak About It, and you can learn more about our work at wespeakaboutit.org. So in this episode, we are getting in deep with those conversations about sexually transmitted diseases and about how to combat the stigma that comes along with them. We're gonna hear from some local friends in Portland, Maine. Up first, we have Sean and Christina from the India Street Public Health Clinic, an amazing low-barrier healthcare center. And next, you'll hear a super fun, super juicy conversation with Ren from the Franny Peabody Center, a local HIV-AIDS prevention and support services organization. And we know that STIs might not sound like the sexiest topic, but we promise this conversation is fun, it's really fascinating, and it is even a little sexy. Plus, as the pandemic continues to define our lives and all our relationships, There's a lot in these conversations that can translate so well into thinking about COVID safety and risk management and all those consent conversations you're having with even your friends. So pop in your earbuds or jack up the volume and have your roommates listen with you. With their consent, of course. And let's speak about it. do you want to introduce a little bit um, about India Street, where you're coming from, and also how you got there, what you do there, and who you are?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm Sean Peterson. I work at India Street Public Health. Um, I work mostly in the STD Clinic and then do a handful of other things. Um, so, India Street is a really cool place. Um, it's been there forever, part of a community, and is home to a bunch of different programs. So, we obviously have the STD Clinic, mm-hmm. which we run on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, we're home to the needle exchange program, which is a full-time program Monday through Friday, nine to four thirty. Um, and then we're also home to the Portland Community Free Clinic, which is a primary care practice for folks who are uninsured in the Cumberland County area. Mm-hmm. Um, so a bunch of different things going on, but all found at the same amazing place. Cool. So cool.
2: And I'm Christina DiMatteo. I'm a doctor at the New Street Clinic and the medical director there. And um, I basically, my background is in infectious disease and preventive medicine. And uh, so my work is mainly focused on uh, infectious disease from a public health standpoint. So things like tuberculosis, STDs, HIV, hepatitis, all these um, diseases that uh, and, and infections that um, spread Basically, and, and have public health
3: implications. So I'm curious, just like as a starting point, I, I stumbled over my words, didn't know what to say. Is STIs or STDs? And so like, what what is it? Like like what's the difference between terms? Call? Like yeah, what do we call them?
2: Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's always a great <laughs> <infection>, or, <laughs> we have a great infection. Great right? question. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's great yes. It's a great insight. No, so it's a great question because. Uh, you know, y- you've seen over the kind of past recent years, I mean, it used to be VD, right? Be mm-hmm. Under- mm-hmm. Diseases, oh, my God, I forgot. Right, yeah. so you know, check yourself <laughs> I for I VD. And then, and then it changed to STDs, sexually yeah. transmitted diseases. And more recently, there's been more language around STIs, which is sexually mm-hmm. transmitted infections. And, and really, I mean, STD and STI, you'll still hear interchanged a lot. Like, we still often yeah. really usually refer to ourselves as an mm-hmm. STD clinic yeah. because STD clinics have such a, history and Mm -hmm. you know so that's kind of what they've been named and um, takes a lot to change the name but really the infection versus disease um, so when you get a bacteria or a virus or something in your body that's an infection but it doesn't necessarily have to cause any damage or harm or symptoms and so you can have an infection Mm -hmm. without disease and disease is the state of the body reacting to or having some damage from mm-hmm. the infection. We have diseases that are non-infectious, like diabetes or heart mm-hmm. disease, mm-hmm. right? And then we have uh, communicable diseases, mm-hmm. uh, which can be like the flu or mm-hmm. chlamydia. Mm-hmm. And so it's important because it, it, it basically encompasses the, ST, the the sexually transmitted infections that we see, but also the majority of sexually transmitted infections which we don't see because most people who have STIs have no symptoms.
3: Mm. Do you have a statistic yeah. on that? Like yeah. There's...
2: Well, for example, uh, for chlamydia, for example, mm-hmm. um, about 75% of women and 50% of men will not have any symptoms. And you can actually wow. have yeah. chlamydia in your body for a long time, so if you don't test for it, you can pass it on, but have no idea that you have it.
3: How likely or possible is it for like one's body to just like deal with it and mm-hmm. like, get it out yeah. of your system? Yeah. I think there's... we're going to talk, I know, a little bit Mm -hmm. about stigma later, but I feel like a lot of times people are afraid to go into clinic. They're like, my body will just take care of it. Like, does that happen? Yeah,
2: or if I mm -hmm. had something, I'd feel it. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so your body does usually take care of of some of these infections Mm -hmm. over time. So, Mm -hmm. for example, chlamydia, it's hard to say for sure because it is ethically... You can't <laughs> just mm-hmm. watch people. There, there has but has been that in the past, and it's highly unethical. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of based on on, on our best guess and some knowledge that we know, uh, it seems like half of people will clear it on their own within a year, which means mm-hmm. half won't. Um,
4: mm-hmm. And oh. gonorrhea
2: as well. Before we had treatment for gonorrhea, people you know even who had symptoms eventually would clear it, but it just mm-hmm. takes a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Something like syphilis mm-hmm. is uh, with you for life yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. unless it's treated. Interesting. Uh, yeah, and so
3: it also means then that like that if you're not getting it treated then you're running the risk of like spreading this to other folks. Right. So, like while you're waiting. Yeah, for like it. yeah. Symptoms. yeah. yeah. and even though
2: you're not feeling symptoms it can actually cause damage in your body. So, um, like oh, the so or it can cause internal
3: symptom, mm-hmm. right? yeah. internal damage even though there's no external symptoms. Exactly,
2: exactly. Yeah. So like um, uh, um, pelvic inflammatory disease. Mm-hmm. So women can get that and you not have symptoms. It can be really mild. Mm-hmm. You think you're having your period cramping and mm-hmm. you know, it's actually an infection. And so that can cause infertility mm-hmm. and other issues. Wow. Yeah. God, I'm learning I'm like, so much yeah, right. right now. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> how did I not know Yeah, but, right, like
3: we do this work. We should yeah, know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the other thing that I thought of when you were speaking was um, oh, because we're talking about language and then you mentioned like male and female and like um, talked about like the pelvic inflammatory disease. To what extent? Do you all like allow people to choose what terms they're using for their body, right? So, like, if someone comes in, like, are you using specific terms with them, or are you like having a conversation about like what language feels right for them to use?
1: Yeah, I think um our intake form is pretty flexible for a paper form. We're very old school, so mm-hmm. no EMR. It's all paper. Um, And when folks come in and just fill out like the basic demographic form, there's a choice there for sex at birth, the current gender identity, and then an option to leave it blank or to fill in other. Mm -hmm. And then what happens after that is really where a lot of the flexibility can happen. Mm -hmm. Someone will come into the room with one of our amazing intake workers, and that's where a lot of the specimen collection happens, so explanations around urine or vaginal swabs and blood draws. And at that point, it's very open door. what are you here for today mm-hmm. and at that point that person can use any language to describe mm-hmm. anything any concern any body part and it's very open to just kind of fill in what that person is sharing mm-hmm. with you in the moment
3: and it seems like you're like kind of like teasing it a little bit but what is the experience like because like i think one of the barriers is not really knowing right. like, what's going like, to happen i don't want to go to the there.
0: clinic <laughs> i'm scared of it i don't want to yeah. be like you know, yeah. accosted or yelled at for getting one of these diseases, you know. That's actually really, because yeah. there's
3: so much shame, right? It's so like, I don't yeah. want the doctor to sit down and be like, shame on you. You're no, a yeah. slut. You got a disease. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, what, yeah what is also, like the, the doctor first says that to you. <laughs> 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 like, I'm not,
1: okay. It's not a good doctor. <laughs> not <laughs> not okay. a good doctor. Good to know. No. You don't yeah. teach that in
2: medical school. They <laughs> <laughs> <You> don't <laughs> teach that to me in medical school. Good to know. Good to know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the experience for us is it's a pretty low-key clinic atmosphere. So folks come in, Go to the Mm -hmm. front desk, I'm here for clinic. You're given a clipboard with some paperwork. Mm -hmm. You fill in your paperwork, give it back to the front desk, and then after that, you're always called by a number, right? So no names are used ever in public spaces, Mm -hmm. right? So no one's ever identified. Mm -hmm. Um, You're called by your number, you see an intake worker who does a really kind of thorough sexual history intake, Mm -hmm. and at that point, what we're really trying to figure out is. Um, your partners, what kind of sex are you having, any substance use, any mm-hmm. physical or emotional abuse, um, any partners who are positive, maybe you're a confirmed contact to chlamydia or gonorrhea, and we know that you're going to get treated today, mm-hmm. so kind of sussing out what's happening in someone's sex life, and then any other concerns that they may have in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the blood draw for some people is no big deal, it's mm-hmm. fine, for other people having their blood drawn is like the worst thing they could possibly imagine, mm-hmm. yeah. um, but we are prepared for that. Okay. It's. Fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, we do our best to get people through that, get your blood draw, and then and then folks wait. So we're lucky at the clinic that we actually have a lab right mm-hmm. on site. Um, so for right. folks who provide a urine sample, um, so folks with penises, pee in a cup, and then our lab actually looks at the urine right there. And with that, the lab can tell if there's an elevated level of white blood cells. Mm-hmm. And white blood cells typically indicate an infection. Um, And Christina could talk more about what we're looking at there. But if someone has a lot of white blood cells, they might be getting treated that day. Mm. Um, After we get those results back, folks then see Dr. DiMatteo. And so then that's more of like a physical exam. Um, I'll definitely put a plug in here for folks to get anal and oral swabs if they're having anal and oral sex. Mm. Um, I think it's sometimes a big education piece for folks to find out that that sore throat is not strep, it's gonorrhea, oh. you know, and a lot of primary care folks are missing some of those pieces for folks who are having sex at other points of contact that are you know, maybe more stigmatized or slightly less comfortable to get into a conversation mm. about how much anal sex your patient is having. Mm-hmm. I'm
3: curious about the anal and oral swabs. Is that like, that doesn't sound super fun? And so, yeah, and so um, depends. but I think that I heard that um, that the clinic is now allowing folks to like swab themselves. Yes. Is that true? Yes. Oh. Is yeah, that like and,
2: standard practice? Is everybody do that? Do give them the option? Yeah, they have the option mm-hmm. actually. You know, some people prefer to self swab. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some people prefer to self swab uh, anally, but uh, want me to do the oral because they've got a little bit of a gag reflex. So it's not as comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people prefer that I do both. Mm-hmm. And just you know because it's it's less awkward for them mm-hmm. so it's really whatever you're comfortable mm-hmm. with is totally fine and it's not you know it's 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 not too bad if you ever had a, a strep throat swab yeah you know, it's like the same thing, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The same or, thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah and then the anal swab doesn't go in very far and mm-hmm. thank goodness we don't do urethral swabs anymore no. Ooh, yeah. that, that's good but only to know, yeah. super select cases would do that cool. yeah. Yeah, interesting. Totally would. Yeah. yeah
3: so i think that you said a really interesting point about like whatever the person is most comfortable with which mm-hmm. like feels like it tries to speak about it and getting consent mm-hmm. and what's the person comfortable with so how do we have these conversations with our partners right about like stis stds about yeah because yeah, it feels like it is an emotional conversation so yeah. like what is your i don't what is your take on it
2: I mean, I think asking consent is the really big thing, and that's um, what I teach. I have residents coming through the clinic, and when we teach how to talk about sex, you know, and and I think the same goes with a partner, but as a clinician talking with, you know, a person who just walked in off the street, it's important to say, hey, you know, I want to ask you some questions about, you know, your sexual history and and practices so I can better understand how to treat you. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. And once you get the yes, then you can pretty much, you know, that's talk awesome. about whatever it is because you've you've gotten permission, mm-hmm. and so it's it makes even a asking.
3: Can we have this conversation? Yeah. Even though you know they're there for it, right. yeah. yeah.
2: So awesome. I think yeah, and the important thing is to not dance around it like mm-hmm. it's a, a special thing because that others it you know makes it it, it makes it wrong. If, yeah. If you're trying to be delicate about it, you then know then it
1: must be delicate. Like parents yes. talking with yeah. kids,
2: and the, you know if you make it like a, well, so I mean you might be uncomfortable about this, and I'm sorry, but <laughs> I just really need to ask you, mm-hmm. um, like, have you had? like a lot of sex in the past year. I mean, it just is like, yeah. Now I'm uncomfortable, it wasn't before. Yeah. It's cool. just like, hey, you know, I always like to ask my partners, Um, you know, when's the last time you got tested, mm-hmm. and 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 do you have the results? And mm. great, good to know, yeah. and, and normalize it. Yeah, yeah. So I it think can't be
3: that simple. Mm. That's a really fun question also, right? So like, now it's like transitioning to like, how do we talk to our partners about it? Right. And even that, because it's like, me asking, like, oh, hey, have you been tested? Someone says, yeah, like, is it okay to ask to see the results? Like is that like is that a thing that, that like okay? do people yeah. bring home their results?
1: Like, I mean I think that's up to the person. Yeah. You know, yeah. that depends on the conversation and the context of that relationship. But if mm-hmm. you're asking like, hey, were you tested recently and someone's like, yeah, I was. And maybe you can ask like, did everything come back negative? Or do you want to tell me the results? Mm-hmm. And I think if for a person, if maybe they need to see them. Mm-hmm. I want them to feel empowered Mm. to say like, yeah, I would like to see them, you know, because Mm -hmm. that could be also a reflection of a past issue with a partner who maybe Mm -hmm. didn't give results, honestly. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think it depends on the person wanting to Mm -hmm. say like, maybe I need that also for myself in this relationship, but just being honest about it, Mm
0: -hmm. yeah. I'm sort of curious um, how you folks talk about like barrier methods and Mm. safer sex practices um, with patients, but then how you encourage them to talk their partners as well, because they're. I mean, STIs are stigmatized, but I we're finding when we're talking with young people that even the use of condoms or other barrier methods mm-hmm. is sometimes like not cool, yeah. which is its own kind of stigma. Yeah. So I'm curious what that conversation is like in the clinic versus kind of what you're hearing. Yeah,
3: yeah. So that's really interesting because like, I feel like even like dental dams like a butt of a joke. Like, yeah, like, like no one's actually feeling like oh I love using dental dams and so
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> dance dancer bust. Now yeah. That <laughs> no, <I'm doing> that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean I think that's interesting because really the heart of India Street is a harm reduction approach. Mm. and so a lot of our conversation in clinic is often guided by the patient. Mm. Um, so we do ask folks on the intake form that they fill in by themselves when they mm-hmm. first come in, it has like a tiny little box that we recently added that has vaginal, anal and oral, and then a zero to 10 condom use scale. So people get to self-report. Mm-hmm. Um, and so during the intake, it might be a subject of conversation, or mm-hmm. if that person has something else really pressing that they want to talk to you about today, that might not be what you talk right. about today. Right. Um, so I do think that there's a lot of like patient-guided conversation mm-hmm. of like really getting to what they're there for yeah. that day. and. You know, if someone is putting zero for all of them, or like, I never use these, then it might be like, hey, can we talk about why don't you ever use them? Are they uncomfortable? Have you had a bad experience? Mm -hmm. There was a really great article that came out about condom use that a lot of folks have the wrong size condom on, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. Why would you use it if it doesn't feel good? So I think sort of sussing out that conversation, just like, tell me more about it. Mm -hmm. When you do use it, why Mm -hmm. do you use it? When you don't, why Mm -hmm. don't you use them? Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll be honest, yeah the dental dams are not flying off the shelf mm-hmm. it is it's a tough yeah. one yeah yeah yeah
3: i'm also really curious too about um condom size right is that like how do we educate people about like condom size right like, yeah. like if you have like, like 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 a one sentence thing that you want people to know like what do they need to
1: know experiment mm-hmm. you know like especially if you're in a consensual open relationship say like let's try these know, mm-hmm. we literally at the clinic have a condom bar you know, that is full. Like a oh. Sunday
2: bar. It has a bar. There's like sprinkles. <laughs> <It is. laughs> we actually, when we table, sometimes we'll have a candy bar and then a yeah, bar. Yeah, that's you know? so good. There's little baggies. You can take whatever you want with yeah, it. I love
0: that. But, I so
3: but you don't recommend mixing them, right?
0: That's
1: yeah. your consent. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. You don't need the candy on top.
2: Right, but. right. No. <laughs> yeah,
1: but I think there's a lot to be said for... The fact that condoms are like any other product, mm-hmm. there is mm-hmm. tons of variety. It's like mm-hmm. honestly, if you could see every condom product in front of you, it'd be like being in a cereal aisle, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So take some of all of them mm-hmm. and like make that a fun thing that you do with your partner. Mm-hmm. Try them all out. Some have more lube, some have no lube. We have flavored lube, we have water based we have silicone, we have like snug fit condoms, you have large condoms, you have extra large. Cond- you know, there's just mm-hmm. like there's everything out there you can possibly imagine. Yeah. Cool. yeah, it just needs
0: to be like a little more messaging about. Yeah. What's out there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wanted to circle back a little bit because we've sort of been talking about like STIs that carry all this stigma, and I'm like, so where does that stigma come from?
2: Yeah. I mean, the the language that I hear a lot is, um, you know, either you know, one of fear um, and shame, and I can't believe I got this. Mm. Uh, you know, I, she looked clean. Mm. He looked clean. Mm-hmm. I, I hear that a lot.
3: Even that wording is so yeah. like, telling. You know. And
2: and it's like you know, I've had people come in very first sexual experience ever and, mm-hmm. you know, got herpes or got an infection you know, got chlamydia. Mm-hmm. very first, very first encounter mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And these are super common, especially in young individuals, so like, basically by the time you're 25 there's like half of everybody has had an STI yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. even if they don't know it they're so common, there's a lot of of association with just the stigma we have about sex, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. yeah. and, and especially, um there's a lot of disparities about mm-hmm. how we treat sex in different populations and different mm-hmm. groups. and mm-hmm. There's a lot of healthcare disparity mm-hmm. uh, in different groups, and mm-hmm. so you know, there. It's easy to other when you have like an infection outbreak. Mm-hmm. Um, you think of the the AIDS era, mm-hmm. know, when HIV star- first started to emerge. It was extraordinarily othered mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to gay men to. Uh, people who inject drugs mm-hmm. to Haitians because it was first you know, identified, you know, some of the first population was identified it was a, happened to be a group of Haitians. Mm-hmm. I, I think living in Florida and you know, mm-hmm. so it became very easy to say, okay, I don't have to worry about that infection that scares me because it's in these people who deserve mm-hmm. it. And I don't need that. that's them. I don't have that's their for that. yeah. You know, yeah. when mm-hmm. the truth is, you know, if you if you don't take care of an infection, um, New infection outbreaks. If you don't take care of it, it's going to spread to the entire population.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Fascinating. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It makes want
0: to really learn more, and yeah.
1: And for us, the same. You know what I mean? Like Lizzie just went to the Q Plus Health conference on Friday mm. and met someone there and was mm-hmm. like, "Would you look at our paperwork for us? even having other community partners look Mm -hmm. at our paperwork Mm -hmm. from like through their lens Mm -hmm. is really helpful for us because as soon as we change the paperwork i saw on a few of our demographic forms that people like drew hearts around the non-binary option that like Mm. it's really nice that people like saw that and felt and we're
0: like thank you yeah yeah yeah, but it's nice
1: to know like maybe we're missing other stuff um that we can make more people feel more welcome yeah because i think that that's something that you know we're actively trying to do that and we don't always get it right. Yeah. So, maybe think about providers who are not actively trying mm-hmm. to do that and how yeah. hard that yeah. is for folks going into other medical spaces. Yeah, mm-hmm. do you
0: have a specific demographic that you are like, I want to reach this demographic, but we are not?
1: So, I mean, the way that we're funded is through mm-hmm. a main CDC contract, mm-hmm. um, and they emphasize um, mostly men having sex with men, it's right? So, MSM yeah, yeah, yes. as the um what as like the primary category um because of hiv yeah. and syphilis um, so that's really like we're definitely encouraged Why is to test I mean there are a couple different things like some of it is testing but a and, lot of
2: it is yeah, transmission. I mean it's, that's where public health makes the difference actually mm. because it's a higher it's like a little bit higher risk mm. activity and yeah. there's a little more um, uh, tends to be more anal sex mm. you know which has a little more risk for Getting HIV and then syphilis likes to travel with HIV. It just you know, makes it more, more fit transmitter. Oh, um, yeah. oh, it just like attaches itself. Yeah. I mean not. Yeah, it not, just no, it just. I'm actually like i literally just this shit. It, can, it can infect. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> it can infect. It, it can infect easier. Gotcha. You know, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you goofy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it, it can they, they just yeah. tend to yeah work we're right yeah. um, and then but for example like HIV like we talked about in the US is predominantly in men of sex with men mm. because we paid attention to it in enough time that it didn't spread to the spread general to population other populations. but yeah. if you look at um, countries in like sub-Saharan yeah. Africa it's mm-hmm. 95% heterosexually transmitted yeah. right. so if it started yeah. in one population so it's, it kept yeah. going so it population. starts It's it's that's the highest risk mm-hmm. kind of because you have more you know blood mm-hmm. exposure but mm-hmm. it it certainly can happen just as you know, reasonably, efficiently, in in, yeah. in heterosexual vaginal. <laughs> Got to take away like Sex. sexuality. Think about it sort of as like sexual geography. It's, yes. Yeah. Like the, the, the fear around the Ebola outbreak mm. you know, felt mm-hmm. very similar to mm-hmm. like, the fear of the AIDS outbreak, mm-hmm. um, and you know if we didn't put a public health effort into stopping mm-hmm. that outbreak I and mean, there's not one now, but it would yeah. have spilled out, you know, yeah. even much more broadly than that because it's fairly mm-hmm. efficient. Yeah, um, cool. But so yeah, it's that's the, you know, it's just sort of how, how likely are you to get it per mm-hmm. sex act mm-hmm. based on the type of sex you're having. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I think also, and this is a no-brainer for you guys,
1: but the number of doctors that don't always get this, it's just like dating apps have obviously changed the geographical landscape by yeah. which people tap into. Yeah. So if you ma- imagine an old sexual network of like going to a bar, meeting through friends, it was like a really tight geographical area. Mm-hmm. And now you're meeting people from all over, traveling or traveling, yeah, and so your yeah. geographical network has changed, and so even though Maine is considered like a low incidence state for many STDs, we're right next to a couple large metropolitan areas. Yeah. And so if you're tapping into other sexual networks that have like a totally different incidence and prevalence, mm-hmm. then like you're tapping into something that's totally different.
0: Cool, yeah. so I wanna ask a final closing question. For you folks, since who are experts in this topic, is how do we as lay people combat STI stigma in our everyday lives, mm. in our everyday relationships, or our lives in general? Yeah. Is, like one nugget of advice. And
3: I think you phrased it really interestingly earlier too. Is that like without celebrating them, right? Like, like how do we oh. like, acknowledge that like this is a natural part of life? There's not a stigma, but also not to be like everyone go get one. It's no big deal. <laughs>
1: so yeah. I mean, I think it's exactly what you just said. Like, take care of yourself. Oh.
2: Huh. You know, mm-hmm. like
1: I think it's just that and. I think there is a certain amount of risk and you know sort of one must kind of step into it mm-hmm. right to be the one to say hey I want to talk about this you know mm-hmm. whether that's with a partner mm-hmm. or with a friend or with a medical practitioner mm-hmm. I think that there is sort of a, a big ask in some ways but if everyone did that mm-hmm then right across the board, everyone Mm -hmm. would just be talking about it. And so I think for those people who are willing to sort of take that on and be the friend in the friend group or the partner in that relation to say like, I wanna talk about this, Mm -hmm. let's just do this Mm -hmm. and not creating that hesitancy around it, just dive in. I do a ton of outreach with providers, mostly around pre-exposure prophylaxis. And the conversation I have the most is, don't wait for your patient to ask you just ask them. Mm. I want to ask you a little bit about your sex life. Mm-hmm. Can I take a sexual history? Is that okay? Mm-hmm. You know? And then go for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if if we all start doing that bit by bit, then you can kind of chip away at this thing that it's, it's separate from every other part of our life. Because sex is a part... Of every other right, it's all yeah. integrated. It's all part of what you of what yeah. you do, mm-hmm. and just like embrace that and take it in. Yeah. So that it.
0: emotional
2: vulnerability in
1: yeah. many ways is
0: a safer
2: sex yeah. practice. Yes. Mm-hmm. I
0: love that.
2: Yeah, normalizing getting tested, be like, oh yeah, I get tested. You know, once a year, I get tested four times a year, mm-hmm. and, and um, I think talking about that can to then make that a normal conversation uh, and allow somebody else to say, oh, okay, well, I guess it's okay to go to the industry clinic because yeah. mm-hmm. he went there and that's actually how we did a lot of our business is word mm-hmm. of mouth yeah. where For people all, come, definitely. have a good experience and then somebody else comes in and says oh yeah my friend told me to come here um, and so it makes a difference to talk about it Yeah. so honestly I think yeah. that's a
3: great closing point I love India Street Clinic, that is where I go. It's
0: yeah. <laughs> been great. Yeah, yeah. You've talked to me,
3: you've helped me. Like like yeah, I think like, like I think it's wonderful. So yeah. like for anyone watching, I think definitely go to India Street. Yeah. It's been great. Yeah. So helpful. Yeah,
2: I We like already so have much. a new fan, someone was
3: uh, one comment about the condom bar sounds Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't have to make an appointment for
2: that if you yeah. want condoms. Yeah. Free condoms. Free condoms. condoms all the time. Condom bar, always open. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> <years> happy <laughs> a week. the
3: happiest, the happiest hours. hours. <laughs> 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 so, Alright, hot goslings, it's time for your favorite part, the awkward goodbye. Later. Bye. So, we're really excited to switch gears. We've got another special guest today, so we want to welcome Wren. Uh, Ren, can you give a quick introduction for who you are?
4: Uh, I'm Ren Morrill, and I do HIV prevention and harm reduction for Frannie Peabody Center. We are an HIV-AIDS service organization. We provide medical case management, housing, behavioral health services, and prevention services to York and Cumberland County. I was always really passionate about HIV. Um, I'm of an age um, where I remember the time before antiretroviral treatment. Um, so it, it to me, it was just, uh, it was something I was always really passionate about. I think that HIV, I think is a bit like being a theater kid or being part of the theater like people say you know you get that theater bug well you kind of get that HIV bug no no pun intended there. <laughs> um, but people who are who are passionate about HIV who work in HIV are sort of their own breed mm-hmm. and I, I don't know if you can I don't know if it comes from experience or a past or I'm not sure what motivates us mm-hmm. but but we all have that animating fire for this particular disease um, and, and it's and it's many facets.
0: You are a local hero, um, and we're so excited to have you on today to talk a little bit more about STIs and STDs. So, Arundhati, do you want to kick it off with our first question?
3: Oh, sure. So, I'm curious. What do you think is the difference between the terms STI and STD?
4: Uh, for me, I, I don't tend to split a lot of hairs on that stuff. I think that language is really dynamic, mm-hmm. and so is communication. So for, for me, I, I use them both interchangeably, but if somebody has a preference, I'm happy to want to enrol it.
3: So we do see a lot of stigma around STIs, STDs, whatever term you want to use, and why do you think that is? Where does that come from?
4: I think it's interesting, we, we put this social layer on diseases with a, with a sexual or a pleasure component, like HIV or, or addiction, for example. Uh, whereas other diseases like breast cancer for example is you know overcoming breast cancer is seen as heroic and this isn't to trivialize breast cancer at all it's not what i'm saying but we don't put that social layer on it right like not like we do with hiv and addiction i think without education we rely on outdated myths or understandings of sex sexuality what is healthy sex and the risks of engaging in sex um that that we're told from kind of the culture around which is maybe not the best source. You know, when we're told that certain behaviors are bad, like sex or using drugs, it's easy to see the diseases that are transmitted via these behaviors as punishments for engaging with them. I I think what's most important here is that diseases are human states. We're all human and everyone gets sick from time to time. That's totally natural, but we should take care and educate each other rather than blame or judge one another.
3: I'm wondering because it sounds like a lot of that comes from misinformation and some of it maybe some like misconceptions about the moralities surrounding sex and intimacy. And so do you have any specific tips or um, any advice for how we can better teach folks about these topics to maybe reduce some of the stigma around STIs?
4: Mainly I think education and awareness. Um, A lot has changed since the 1980s, particularly with HIV. Uh, The new medicines allow those who've contracted HIV to live long healthy lives. This is called Treatment as Prevention, or TASP for short. We use treatment to lower the viral load in order to prevent transmission. For a lot of folks, you wouldn't even know they had HIV at this point. Um, You can see this in the U equals U campaign. U equals U stands for undetectable equals untransmittable, which means if somebody has HIV and goes on treatment, they can get their viral load down to so few copies within their body that the test can't even detect it. It doesn't mean that they're cured, it just means that the virus is under control and is being suppressed by the medication. And what this means is they can't transmit the virus. Um, So I think it's really important that people understand that a lot of people don't know that. I think getting the science and and keeping up to date and making sure that there are programs that are keeping folks up to date, kind of like what you guys are doing, is is really crucial to that. Um, We also at Franny Peabody Center do a lot with the Awareness Days. Um, you know, we put together events um, or use social media to make people aware of HIV and AIDS. Because um, even though we have these amazing treatments and we have these new prevention tools, it's not over. Um, Maine could easily be one of the first states to get to zero. Um, but without an organized low barrier statewide PrEP program, we're just not going to achieve that. Um, you know, there are other things that factor into that um, that I'll talk about a little later, like housing and healthcare access. Mm-hmm. Um, But I think we need to be encouraging folks to get tested and know their status. If they are positive, then we need to create a culture that encourages people to seek treatment and to stay in treatment. Um, And we need to talk about treatment as prevention. And most importantly, we need to make sure that long-term survivors, those who have been living with HIV for two or three decades, are getting the care that they need as they age. We need to make sure their stories are told and that their voices are heard. HIV may not be a death sentence anymore, but that doesn't mean that it's over. There's still work to be done here. And a lot of that involves education and talking to each other and making sure that that we're up to date on what our status is.
0: I have a question about that social component. I'm sort of curious, so you do a lot of educating in the classroom, on college campuses, through your work, but do you have tips and tricks for people in their social lives or their romantic lives for combating Is stigma particularly around HIV, because that's where
4: your expertise is? I think it's pretty simple. Uh, You know, as as the name of your program says, speak about it. (laughs) Share what you know. Get to know your local sexual health resources. Care and support one another. And get tested, know your status, and encourage others to do the same. That's interesting. So, for bringing up like speak about it, mm-hmm. and like um, a huge part I of our you info's. did some speak about it puns in here. <laughs> you thank, you yeah. so thank you so much. much. It's very on brand. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, but I'm curious, how does all this play into consent, right? Like, how does this relate to topics of getting and receiving consent? Um, it would seem that knowing your status would be an important piece of that. So, I would imagine getting tested is a part of that. But how do you bring this up, and how do you navigate consent conversations around uh, STIs?
4: There's this assumption that people make that there are people out there kind of like sharks or snakes, like waiting to give you an STI, <laughs> that, that, that somebody that somebody's going to give you an STI. They're gonna be, be. like, I'm going to foreplay tonight. I'm gonna to meet that girl Liz or some Chad, and I'm, and I'm just gonna give him chlamydia because because that because that's that's love, that's you know, and that's just not what's going on, you know. And I hear this in education. They're like, if somebody, if so, if somebody gave me an STI, I'm gonna burn their house down. And and I'm just like, and I'm like, the, the fact of the matter is is. For the most part, I'm not going to say never say never, you know, because like banana stuff is happening all the time. But by and large, people are just not giving each other STDs on purpose. You know, people are either are either not communicating because of stigma or they might not even know that they have an STD, particularly like syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia. You know, you can you might not even have any symptoms of those. You know, with HIV, people are most contagious during the early phase of infection. And and that's when you're not necessarily going to be symptomatic. You might not even know that you're infected. So so I think people just need to kind of kind of take a step back and kind of accept that that you know, the positives of sexuality are pleasure and intimacy and connection and fun. But you know there there are some some you know uh, consequences. There are some risks involved as far as SCIs go so we just need to recognize those as a reality and 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 you know behave in a manner that meets what our risk profile is like you know if, if we know that we're somebody who's really concerned you know um, hiv or stds are something that we're really emotional about maybe we want to be a little more cautious you know if we're more laissez-faire and we're like oh you know what committee is not really a big deal i can just take some antibiotics I want to have a lot of partners, you know, just to kind of accept the fact that, you know, if you're going to have a lot of partners, you're at a higher risk of HIV or, or um, STIs and take to do what you can to protect yourself, but just kind of know your risks, you know, know the place that you're in. As far as consent goes, um, I think that particularly with HIV, a lot of people feel like the person who has HIV is obligated to initiate that conversation. And I think that is a little bit of a cop-out, and I think that that's true across, as far as any STI goes or any sexual history. It's like, it's like well, if you have a sexual history you know, that, that is maybe not crystal clear, you know, you may, maybe you had an STD, maybe you had HPV, like, like pretty much, by the way, everybody's had. You know? <laughs> yeah. like, like many of these are super duper common, and, and whether or not you quote unquote have it is really just whether or not you've had symptoms. You know, so they, they feel like, oh well if you have something in your background, you're the one who needs to bring it up. And and I don't I don't agree with that. You know, as the nineties taught us, it <laughs> takes two to make a thing go right.
2: <laughs> Such
0: a good so I don't know what that reference is. <laughs>
4: Age divide in
0: this We'll do, room. A, we'll do a PS. <laughs> yeah, you
4: can you can do a little citation <laughs> on, on that. Um, so so I think you need to speak about it, you know, oh. and and I think that that needs to be a two way street. It's a dialogue, not a monologue, mm-hmm. you know. I, I guess in in my personal life, um, you know, I I bring it up. I do HIV education. I do sexual health education. I feel like, you know, a, a, as an educator, I need to be creating an environment where people can speak about HIV and STIs in a comfortable way. If you can't have that conversation with me, I don't know who you can have that conversation <laughs> with, you know, but I ask people a lot of the time as a way of reducing stigma because because I know that I'm, I'm an expert on HIV. Mm-hmm. I do HIV education. So if I do need somebody that's paused and we're gonna be intimate um, I, they, they can just be like they, they're like yeah I'm, I'm HIV positive and I just say hey are you undetectable and if they say yes then I'm like okay cool man let's do it you know because like for me I already know what that means I, I know that they really pose no risk to me you know so I, I'm already educated on what the risks are so I can engage in a manner that's, that's hot that's fun and that's empowered and educated mm-hmm. that also takes the burden off the person who has HIV to disclose On the flip side of that, when I do education for folks who are HIV positive, one of the things that I recommend, and this could work for anybody who's got, you know, like some sort of STI in their background, like maybe they've had HPV or maybe they've got herpes, you know, you can always do a test balloon, right? You can always just be like, oh, what's your status? And then Mm -hmm. if somebody, you know, is bananas about it, if they just, if they have kind of like, not the reaction that you're looking for, maybe this isn't the partner for you. You know what I mean? Like, like maybe maybe they're projecting their own insecurities on their sexual health back on you. Or maybe you, or, or at that point, you can decide whether or not you want to put in the work to educate them. And, you know, it kind of depends on where you're at with this partner.
0: I really like that image of a test balloon, and we're totally going to see all that. Yeah. yeah.
3: I also think it's really interesting how you phrase that, because I think that um, it's almost like a little bit of a hot take. I think people oftentimes say that, like, it's on you to tell someone if you have a condition, if you have, a, in fact, if you have this thing. Um, and that's really interesting to empower folks to say like, no, anyone can ask this conversation, anyone can start the, yes. the question, anyone can ask the question, anyone can start the conversation. Um, I'm wondering if you have any advice, for like how do we make it a safer space to talk about these things?
4: With HIV, I think language is always always a little tricky, um, you know, because, because people, uh, like for example, when I'm out doing testing, people will be like, oh, I want my AIDS tested. And I'm just like, I'm like I know I know." we laugh. We laugh because it is a little silly. But, um, but, you know, I hear that. And a lot of people still don't really know the difference between HIV and AIDS. HIV is the virus. It's human immunodeficiency virus. AIDS is acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. AIDS is the result of having HIV infection. It, you know, and just because somebody has HIV doesn't mean that they have AIDS. So when you're approaching somebody... Um, don't you know you don't want to open with you don't want to open with wait you've got AIDS like that's pretty stigmatizing it's uh, it's also pretty ignorant it's not very science based you know you can be living with you know so generally what we say is living with HIV some person living with HIV or you could or m- more casually kind of I, I hear this more in the gay community than I do. Um, among um, outside of the gay community, a lot of people say "pause" or "pause guys" or "I'm pause" or "I'm HIV positive." You know, that's a little more casual maybe. I hear this a lot on the savage kingdom known as Grindr, <laughs> um, and uh, and that is um, "I'm clean," or yeah. or "Hey man, are you clean?" people with HIV are not dirty people if you have an STI you're not dirty if you have breast cancer you're not dirty if you have diabetes you're not dirty you know but we know you know if you have if you if you are in recovery from substance abuse disorder you are not dirty you know you have a health issue just like anybody else Mm -hmm. so so I you know like I said I'm pretty easygoing when it comes to language a lot of people are pretty sensitive I do education so I got a a, a pretty thick skin, and I also tend to listen kind of what people are saying, you know. Rather than, I, I think, also call out culture not helpful. <laughs> I think I think if you have if you have the patience that day, and I understand you. If you don't have the patience, you know, like like I, you know, but if you have that patience, just being like, hey, man, you know what? That that can be a little stigmatizing, or that doesn't make me feel good. Maybe you could try this instead. Like I said, disease states are human states. Everybody gets sick at one point or time, one one time or another. Just accept that if somebody discloses that to you, okay, they have a chronic health condition that's HIV, or they've had an STD in the past. All right, let's get down to brass tacks and talk about what we can do to prevent that.
3: Good, thank you. And you mentioned earlier, since we were just talking about testing, you mentioned earlier that sometimes there's some barriers to testing. And so I'm wondering, like, why might someone not get tested? Like, what's preventing people from really knowing their status?
4: I think that people have been taught to be afraid. They've been taught to think that HIV is the end of the world. Um, They've been taught to feel ashamed because they haven't been taught that harm reduction is self-care. They have been taught that sexually transmitted diseases are a punishment for enjoying sex. Um, That's the social level. I think on the healthcare level, we have a long way to go as far as educating providers about how to give inclusive, sex-positive sexual health screenings. If people are getting shit from their providers, they're they're just not going to get tested. You know, if you think you're going to get judged, they're not they're just not going to go in. Or if they do go in, they're not necessarily going to be honest. So we may be missing things. We may not be giving somebody good health care screenings. Like an example of that is, um, you know, if we're having particular kinds of sex, um, queer sex in particular, but anal sex in general is still, you know, pretty taboo. I recently went in and got tested and the, the the doctor was my usual doctor and he was like, Oh, you can just leave a urine sample. And I was like, I need you need to swab my throat and my butt. Because, <laughs> because, because to be honest, like 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 that's like like a urine sample is just not enough for most for most queer men. You know, so like this is an example of them not either just not giving the right care because they don't know. Or they're just being super judgmental about it. Or they just didn't even think that anal sex was an option. And I'm just like, I'm like, P.S. <laughs> people are having butt sex. They have been having it forever. <laughs> they have butts. They're using yeah. it for sex. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, yes. And from what I've seen on Tinder, <laughs> straight people have discovered it. <laughs> I,
2: they've yeah, on they, they have learned they've
4: learned the joys of the butt. And, well I see I hear a lot now about, you know, like like straight couples and they're just eating each other's asses, which I think is delightful.
2: You know, so like, I think that's wonderful. You know, like, it's very
4: intimate, you know. Post I, nice. There's a lot of pleasure <laughs> in your butt. But if people, but like let's be like providers need to get real about what the sexual practices mm-hmm. are. You know, like there may have been once upon a time when a urine sample is enough, but it's not enough now are there any tips
3: for choosing a good provider that you think will be like open to these topics and conversation
4: as far as provider goes um you you gotta honestly unless somebody is really um upfront about offering those services on their website the best way you're going to find somebody is checking with your friends talk to your friends you know talk to folks like me um you know you know talk to the sexual health providers see who's seen what and what their experience was. Cause that that's going to be the best way to judge. Cause uh, otherwise you, you just, you just have no idea. I have seen so many providers who were, who were like, who were like, what do you mean I have to swab your butt? They don't even know what that, they don't even know what that is. They just, they were taught drop a urine and that's going to be enough. Um, so really asking your friends, asking in your network. Um, one of the things I use, uh, Queer Exchange Maine on Facebook that's a really great place if you're looking for um, queer inclusive providers or just providers that might have a more feminist um a more a more feminist view that might be open to women's health that might be open to trans health that way you can actually get it straight from the horse's mouth. Nope, I saw a doctor X, or I saw this nurse practitioner. They were awesome. They respected my pronouns. They understood what was going on. They weren't upset that I was having butt sex. You know, I was able so, to talk about... butt prep. sex. I know, I keep talking about butt sex. It's I like... Uh, it's... Spice it up. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm curious,
3: because you mentioned uh, the anal swabbing a couple of yeah. times. Is there a specific term that someone should ask their doctor about? Like, so, like, while they're vetting their doctors, right? Is there... Yeah. Can they ask... Do you offer blank testing? So is our term people so, know. So yeah,
4: it would be it would be extra genital testing, and, and what what that means is you're testing other sites besides your wiener or your hoo-hoo, which are a technical terms. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So accurate. so they're swabbing so they're swabbing your butt, they're swabbing your throat, you know, which are basically the really the only two areas. But but they're also going to be looking at other areas because syphilis can manifest in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. You know, rashes on. The palm, uh, on the soles of your feet or palms of your hands, mm-hmm. you know, so so they'll be kind of open to looking for signs of, of of sexual health in other areas rather than just a urine sample in the drawing of blood. Correct. That's really That's helpful, thank helpful. you.
0: And we have a lot of um, listeners who are not necessarily based in Maine, and so I want to sort of reiterate Ren's point of seeking out your social networks. I think there's a lot of messaging to say, you know, trust the experts only um, and I think a lot of like queering sex ed and being more inclusive is accepting the fact that communities often know what they want or what they need. And so trust the people in your social network, trust the communities or the people that you know to have your interest in mind. So go find those Facebook groups that might fit within your identity or ethnicity group or seek out um, answers from your friends. And neighbors
3: who maybe share a community with you. Earlier, you mentioned uh, housing, for example, and you're like, if someone's and I, what I assume the connection is, if someone has is housing insecure, then like getting tested like might not be on their high on their priority list. And so I'm curious about how identity plays into uh, status and knowing one's status and if that's at all a barrier to getting treated.
4: At Freddie Peabody Center, we're always concerned about. Um, we we feel really strongly that housing is healthcare. As far as barriers go, um, housing is number one for sure, particularly for folks living with HIV. Um, Hopefully this is an idea that's gonna become more popular to talk about in culture. Housing is healthcare. When when we're talking about HIV, um, this is doubly so, but this is true about any sort of health condition. Mm uh, folks with folks living with HIV, um, if they're not if they're not stably housed, are more likely to enter HIV care late. They have lower CD4 counts. What CD4 is? Um, th- those are the T cells. Those are your immune cells that HIV primarily attacks and kills. So that that so that it's the loss of those cells that causes AIDS. Um, on the flip side, lower CD4 counts means higher viral load. So that's the number of copies of the virus in your blood. So we see, we see lower CD4 counts, which is basically, that that, that is a strong impact over, on your overall health and higher viral loads, which means that you're more infectious. Um, they're, more, they're less likely to receive and adhere to antiretroviral therapy. ART or antiretroviral therapy is, that, that's the magic that, that keeps the viral load down and lets you be healthy, lets you be undetectable, um, and not only is it good for your health, it's a prevention tool as well. Um, they're more likely to be hospitalized and to use emergency rooms, which, if you're going to the ER, that's more expensive for them. They're incurring medical debt, but but also like it's just not it's just not an optimal care. We want people seeing specialists or their primary care about you know before stuff becomes it, it becomes an emergency, um, and they experience high rates of premature death. There's really no reason for people to be dying of AIDS in the United States at this point. There, there really isn't. We have access to the highest quality medicine. We have, we have an excellent healthcare system, but it's really difficult to access. So if people are homeless, they have other priorities. They're not necessarily going to be thinking about that. They put their family or, or they put other concerns ahead of their own health because if you're not housed, meeting your basic needs becomes incredibly difficult. So, so, so as far as, I'm only speaking about folks living with HIV, but we're seeing that, that um, as far as quality of life, health, and from a public health standpoint, housing is healthcare. And I think that's true about any healthcare condition. I think sexual health is gonna take a back seat if you're not housed.
3: You hear about this hierarchy of needs. We don't really think about how true right. that is and what that really pertains to. And that yeah. makes perfect sense that like, if I don't know where I'm sleeping tonight, I might yeah. not be thinking about going and getting this particular testing. Yeah.
4: Um, that's part of what Franny Peabody Center does. Is our case managers make sure that folks are able to access those programs, and and many of our many of our clients are homeless, and so we're working to get them housing. We're working to get them access to the drugs that they need to make sure that they're they're staying adherent and staying healthy, and that they're getting their housing vouchers and that they're um, you know accessing healthcare like they need to.
0: So part of the reason that we invited you here today is because I know that you do outreach in a particularly creative way, which you alluded to earlier. And so I would love for you to talk a little bit more about some of the outreach you do on Grindr and
4: Tinder. Oh, I, I, I actually, I've actually given talks at conferences about doing outreach on um, Grindr or the, any of the, any of those, um, as the media likes to call them, <laughs> dating apps, <laughs> which I'm just like, I'm like, Linda, you're hilarious. <laughs> L- look at, look at you sugarcoating that for the, for the, for the boomers, like, you know, cause like, cause like, I, you know, not that you can't use them for dating, but like, let's be real, Grindr is, that's where you go to get dick dates, okay, and let's be real, like, 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 my, my folks are on Tinder. Like, you can date on Tinder, but like, that's sure. not necessarily what people are there for. So, <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, I get on those apps and I, I put like either a funny or a sexy picture. You, you'll, you'll see me on the local grid. You know, me because cause, cause I'm I'm that hot guy with the red ribbon transposed over his chest. OK, he's half naked and he looks like he's ready to go. And it says in my profile, not looking.
2: <laughs> OK,
4: so read those profiles, Tina. OK, because there's important information people might be disclosing their status. They're telling you what you look for. They're telling you whether or not they want the, that dick pic right away or later. You know, so like use discretion. But anyway, you can see me on there It just says, you know, Passionate about sexual health and, and testing, you know, hit me up if you have questions about prep, if you have questions about testing, or if you need hot dog memes. <laughs> I give hot dog memes out on the regular. I love, a, I love a hot dog meme. So, yeah, no, I think the digital outreach um, is really important. I want to encourage any service providers who are working with sexual health or outreach, even if you're not queer, Get on the grinder. People are like, it's private, and I'm like, no girl, it's not private. anybody can download Grinder and check it out. You know what I mean? It's like, and now with the closing of Craigslist, because I was all over Craigslist. I loved Craigslist. I would, I would, I would, I would post smutty photos with with dirty haikus on there, <laughs> and like to bring all the boys to the yard, and like, and I, and like Craigslist was amazing because I was developing relationships with people who pretty much exclusively used Craigslist for hookups. Yeah. Craigslist was this wild west where you know, and I knew I, I knew a lot of folks, you know, queer folks, particularly some of my trans buddies, were on Craigslist because they had maybe they had certain kinks, and this isn't just the trans folks, but uh, you know, folks who had certain kinks that they didn't want to put on kinder or grinder because those are kind of more mainstream, they're a little more public. Yeah. Craigslist was more discreet, as the kids say. <laughs> um, you know, they would go on Craigslist and they would look for that because it really was like. Craigslist was the last frontier of the internet. It was the dream of the 90s internet where you could be anybody you wanted to be. And so I get on there and I was I was outreaching to folks who were closeted or who just kind of weren't engaging in messaging in other queer networks. And when that and when that closed down, a lot of those folks moved to Grindr. So you see a lot more faceless profiles, you see a lot more discreet folks you still see a lot more bi couples looking for thirds Mm -hmm. i see a lot more trans folks and and i mean i am down i think it's so cool to see this like the the rainbow of queerness on grinder but it was it was sort of it was just a little different because before it was like gay dudes you know and sometimes you see trans men coming in there which which is a thumbs up but um now it's trans people now it's like people looking for all kinds of stuff so I really, really encourage service providers to get on those apps. And, you know, I put a, if you don't want to put a sexy guy in your profile, put a rainbow flag or put a hot dog meme or put something, you know, make it clear kind of what you're doing and just outreach, just chat with people. And
0: do people, like, talk to you?
4: They do all the time. Um, I get a lot of anonymous people hit me up anonymously. Yeah, I think that they may create another profile just to just to chat with me, or they'll or they'll just chat with the profile that they've got. I do a lot of prep navigation on mm-hmm. Grinder. Interesting, a lot of prep navigation. I also do you know I refer people to testing or or I invite them to come into our our walk-in testing. So I just invite people in for that. Um, it's, it's really a great resource um, that didn't really exist before. I think a lot of public health work is networking and being out in the community. You know, you're hitting the pavement, going to the bars, going to the recovery places. But social media, particularly these apps, allows you to target and speak directly to the communities that are at risk. I really just encourage you whether you're queer or not, or whether you just love queer people, or that's your beat. Get on there and work on those. You don't have to be queer to be on those to do outreach. You don't have to be queer to be on them at all. I see ladies on there all the time, and they're and they're just like, yeah, there's less competition on here. I love bi guys. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like Linda, you get it. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Get you get yourself a bi man.
0: Yeah. Get
4: yourself a pansexual oh. Casanova.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love how app positive you are, and I just like I'm obsessed with with that as a way of like. Deeply destigmatizing, like yeah. the apps themselves, and also yeah. communicating about status. I think it's super cool, and so I'm so glad that there's there's at least somebody out there doing it, and there's somebody encouraging other providers to do it too.
4: And and, this, and don't get me wrong, the apps do have a downside. Um, unwanted dick pics are like you know like yeah. always a thing. I have a whole talk on when to send dick pics. So if you want to do another episode on that, yeah, I'd love yeah. to talk about dick pic etiquette. Okay. Because like Grinder even now has a field that says whether or not you want nudes. Mm. So, like, so that way you know you know before you just like launch into those six like boudoir photos that you have taken <laughs> at glamour <laughs> shots I you know, do you know glamour shots is that true i do see, that's right. the one in like sears right
0: yes okay okay Can you I don't i'm see, literally I'm six months younger than around okay. 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 for some okay.
2: reason
4: like,
3: okay. like it's enough
4: but there is a positive side i think that if we are using them either for outreach or for personal use you know if if you if you uh, basically just use the etiquette that your mom taught you, I think you'll be okay. Yeah. I love that. I yeah. think that's Aww, a
0: great that's a, place to end.
3: Yeah, that's
4: a lovely like closing sentiment.
3: Thank yeah. you so much. Thank You're welcome. You. Lovely talk. Thank you.
0: Okay, that's all for now. Hope you learned something, that you laughed a little bit, and that you'll join us next time for Hot Goss. Until then, keep speaking about it. Bye. Thank you.